in, guys, uh, to a, another spring recap here. Um, I'm Chris Marler. We are joined by two of my very, very good friends um, and two dudes that do, honestly, a better job than than almost anybody in our industry with uh, just covering college football in general, but also specifically Georgia football. Um, I, I was excited to see both of you. And then, you know, Josh signed in and he has that stupid fucking picture behind him on the wall. Um but we're here to talk about nice. the spring recap and, and the, just an overall team update from now the defending national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs. So without further ado, I'm joined by Josh Hancher. I'm joined by Graham Coffey. Um, guys, how are we doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? I'm, I'm intimidated to be uh, – I'll do this. I'm, you know, I'm a big Chris Marler fanboy, and uh, so I'm excited to be here. Well, listen, I, I, Graham is not, and we had a <laughs> – I think people forget that me and Graham became really good friends – based off of a giant Twitter argument from several years ago. For those of you that don't know Graham, he um, is a very big non-stealer of content, despite what you've heard by some people that um, overvaluate themselves. Uh, but anyway, Graham Please, is a... Every time someone accuses me of stealing content, I get like 500 new followers on social media. So... <laughs> Please. It's pretty sick, bro. Uh, but no, we, we're going to start with a very awkward conversation that Graham and I had last night, which was Graham putting me in check for saying that I am too negative about Georgia. And uh, so, well, since it's my uh, complaint, can I can I explain it? Maybe oh, he's taking his headphones off so he doesn't have to listen to it or be accountable. So <laughs> here's look at that. What? Is, <laughs> I missed okay. what you were saying. You were saying uh, what? No. So. I mean, I, I see you pandering, and that's good. That's always a, a good place to start. My sure personal opinion is that, uh, you know, you're friends with, like, lots of Georgia fans. Yeah. And you get along with them. And, like, we know you. We know you're not, like, a terrible person. Um, but, like, whenever, you know, the, like, 1% jumps into your mentions, because every fan base has, like, 1% or, like, a fringe that's just terrible people, right? And it's, like – I'm not going to have like Georgia doesn't have those because, because we of course do, but it's like every time one of those people jumps into your mentions, you're like, Oh, it never gets old beating these people. Oh, look at these, look at these losers. Like you blanket statement, everybody. You think there was a guy that replied to your tweet or my tweet about us doing this podcast. It was like, I don't know. Chris sends a lot of mean tweets about Georgia fans. I'm not sure. if God. No. Okay. And I, I just, I still love the fact I love the, we're going to, we're going to address this. I love the fact that you brought up the thing about it's always great beating these people. Cause I, I literally wrote that in a response to somebody saying they hoped all corgis died. And I was an like, owner of two corgis uh, in a past life, but regardless, I, it, none of that matters. I, I think, um, yeah, I do do a very bad job of uh, not uh, feeding just the bottom feeders of, of Twitter and social media in general. And that's just something that, you know, we'll all learn someday and grow from. But no, I, I am really excited. I think that one of the reasons I even brought that up is, um, I mean, all last season, I remember talking to you guys about this going into the year and how I thought it was Georgia's year. Y'all felt the same way. And, and it just looked like it set up, <clears throat> set up perfectly for Georgia to finally make a run and, and turn that corner and kind of get over that, you know, get that monkey off their back with, with Bama. Um, I, all season, I, I, I can distinctly remember listening to uh, the preseason podcast and you were talking and you were just admonishing SEC Twitter for going after Georgia fans. Cause like you were like point blank, they're going to win it. And when they do, you're going to have to pay for all of the crap that you're talking right now. True. So looking uh, at you, Florida fans. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you, 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 yeah. you were definitely a believer uh, before I was, because I, I, I'm definitely was the camp of I'm not going to believe it till I see it. So, well, share a fun fact since we are here talking about G Day. 
Yeah. And by the way, I just want to say the, that the prison that you're apparently recording from is really nice. This background you have is just, it's beautiful right now. It's map. There's maps. I can't see it. But yeah. Go ahead. But say something nice. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, uh, it, like since we were at G day this year, it reminded me that it was, it was right after G day last year, that afternoon that, uh, I placed a bet on Georgia at, uh, I believe it was plus plus 800 plus 850, something like that to win the national title. Um, and they did. So yeah, I won great bet. Awesome. I mean, but like, I remember going throughout the season talking to you guys and, and I was just like, inmate knows me as I get into these deep dives of stats and stuff like that. Nowhere near as good as Josh, but like, you know, some of the stuff that was really standing out to me, like, and it wasn't just defensively. Right. And you talk about like, cause cause it's stuff like Setson Bennett, not getting enough credit. I thought, and like, cause you would, you would see stuff where people were so upset about the quarterback controversy and saying like, you know, the office is an explosive and then the Kentucky game specifically, I'll never forget because it was, it was such a flex of what made that team so great and dominant and the way they were on defense and the way they would flip the field and force turnovers and all that kind of stuff. But what, what like Stetson comes back out from the like, you know, first drive of the half and, and they did, they would five, five plays, 80 yards, all passing, all passes over 10 yards or more. Like all, I think like two, like probably three or four different receivers. And then next drive, five straight runs, 80 yards, ball game and so it was just yeah. throughout the season it was just very very clear that they were um they were a different team and and, and statistically that would definitely prove the case on especially on defense but this is what i said a year ago and i'm gonna i'm gonna start by giving this take and you guys can tell me if i'm wrong but i don't feel like i am and i, and I, I wish i wasn't wearing this shirt when i said it but i said last year that go after the spring game it was the first time you could say in the, like the saving era with, with smart that georgia seemed to have at least from a depth standpoint they were, they were better at the skill positions than Bama was. And, and then that very much came true. And like, you know, with some of the depth issues that Bama had going into the season. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a difference between being deeper and better. Like, like I, I think Jamison and, and Mechie were, were, you know, especially with Pickens hurt mostly. Right. They were better than any of the receivers on Georgia's roster. Last no doubt, yeah. But Georgia went like 10, 12 deep in terms of guys that they could throw the ball to in a game. And we saw what happened when Alabama didn't really develop those secondary options in the second half of the national title game. Right. So, and and the thing is, I remember saying that and people thought I was crazy, you know, because you've seen, especially at that point, the receivers and the production, you're coming off a Heisman Trophy winner, it's Monte Smith and these four first rounders. But I said that last year and and I I went to the game on Saturday in in G-Day and we'll get into G-Day. And I was expecting to see, I wasn't expecting to see a drop off and not really to be blown away by anything because it's, it's a spring game. And, it, and all of this may be an overreaction. And I hope it is for my, my favorite team's sake. But what I saw Saturday, I, it, it looked to me much different and much better than what I saw at Alabama. And, and again, I know this is a spring game, but I expected to go to Georgia and see like, you know, an offense struggle to run the football and a quarterback, you know, battle of, of two people that weren't, super efficient and their numbers, you know, especially from a completion percentage standpoint, weren't great. Right. But I came away with the belief that like Georgia has somehow found themselves in a year where they're the defending national champs where people are already counting them out. <laughs> like it's yeah. Bama and Ohio state. And I've even said, I thought, you know, Bama with the revenge, revenge and all kind of stuff, but Georgia may have even improved at places where they lost key first round guys. And besides the secondary, it seems like, and obviously with the Kobe Dean leaving the linebackers, some of these units are going to be just as, or even more dominant um, this season. So 
let's get started talking about G-Day. What were your biggest takeaways from um, G-Day uh, on Saturday? I mean, I, I agree with you. The thing that popped off the screen uh, is just the amount of skill guys. Yeah. Like, you know, you're watching Kenny McIntosh put like the, you know, old school dream shake on linebackers in the open field. You're seeing Dejan Edwards, who's the third running back, like may have been the most impressive of all the running backs on the day. Like just what he was doing, some of the moves he made, like that's a guy that's going to demand touches. Um, your second running back catches a 42 yard touchdown pass right. on a seam route out of the backfield. Like, the depth is kind of overwhelming. And I mean, I guess in the portal era, there is a little bit of worry that comes with that. Cause mm -hmm. it's like, uh, you know, we've been talking about like how much 12, you know, how much 13 personnel is Georgia going to run with these tight 14. Like, yeah, everyone was saying on Saturday, right. It's like, they can just throw, I mean, hell Seether, the fifth tight end had like three really nice catches. Yeah. And like, you know, it got us joking on our podcast. Like, I hope at least once next year, Mocking just comes out with a five tight end set. Yeah. Kind of like just, just to do it. Right. But I, I think that you've got the, the skill talent and there's a ton of it. Um, so I think Georgia is maybe more like, it's not though, like a bunch of re receivers showed up on campus this off season. Uh, it's just like guys that, hadn't been healthy for a while or right. fully healthy like Kyrus Jackson and Dominic Blaylock and Arian Smith has had like I don't know like I think eight receptions in his career and averages right. like 30 yards a catch in, as a collegiate football player so I guess it made a little more sense too like I don't know I, I, like not trying to like say this as a like not trying to start an argument with you as an Alabama guy but like sitting there watching it I was like yeah, dude, if I was Jermaine Burton and my like priority was to to get targets and and you know hit a certain mark of yards or receptions to because that's what I think I need to go to, do to go to the NFL, like I'd probably leave this room too, because it's stacked and they're right. you know they're more interested in having eight options that that a defense has to account for. So uh, perfect timing with the dog barking in the background as well. Sorry. Um no, this is perfect for this theme. Uh, this whole aesthetic really plays. I, so I agree with that. This is this is what my biggest thing was in talking about um, with like watching Bama, especially on Saturday, because you saw it happen last year and you saw it happen late in the year. Um, and and Josh, you kind of backed me up on this because one of the things I thought that was so was so impressive, not just Saturday, but just in general, was what Todd Munkin has done with this offense. Um, being able to distribute the football with when y'all first got Eric Gilbert and he's already in a tight end room with Darnell Washington. And at the time we hadn't even talked about Brock Bowers or heard of Brock Bowers. And, and, you know, he was still out in fucking wine country or whatever. And so you end up getting a, the number one ranked tight end in the history of recruiting. And I remember thinking, I was like, well, you know, honestly, like, how is he going to, how is he going to distribute the football to keep everyone happy? There's no way to do that. Cause you, cause you also have a loaded backfield that I thought would see most of the touches and most of the action. He found a way to do it. In, in the last six games uh, of the season last year, Georgia had at least one player. They had nine players have at least one reception in each game. And that's an incredible job by Todd Munkin. And that's, I think yeah, that's, an, that's a really good stat. I appreciate that. Um, but I, I, just, I think it speaks volumes about what he's been able to do because, I mean, man, he was doing that. And, and listen, like, I don't want to get into an injury thing, but he was doing that when the cover was kind of bare. Like, he was doing that with Pickens out. And he was doing that with, like, where he didn't have all of his weapons. You talk about Arian Smith. What I think what I saw on Saturday was you, you know, Brock Bowers is going to be Brock Bowers, right? It, Arian Smith 
Kiaris Jackson, some like Eric Gilbert. These are all people that like, I, I think Kiaris Jackson, Jackson, I've said this for two years. I think he is a one. I think he is receiver one, even when, um, when he was there playing with Pickens, because I thought he was like more complete and, and he may not make the, you know, free catches or whatever, but I, I love his like ability. And I think that he's a guy that you can be consistent with as like your go-to guy. Well, what I was going to say is did, you can't underestimate. I mean, like one of the things that, that Jake Fromm didn't have the benefit of was continuity from an offensive right. coordinator position. Uh, and, you know, and then after James Coley took over, you know, that was probably one of our worst offenses we've seen in a while. Uh, and then, you know, it was a priority in that offseason. Coley was like, go and Todd Monken came in, then COVID came. And then there was, you know, you know, Jake Fromm, I think, from my perspective left uh, sort of unexpectedly early for the NFL draft. So there was yeah. no continuity at quarterback. Then of course COVID comes, came. So this was like last year was his first year. Uh, you know, it's we had this players in, in spring camp. And I mean, now it's like, you're going to have, you know, Stetson Bennett uh, starting again under the same offensive coordinator, which hasn't happened at Georgia in a long time. Right. And, and to your point, yeah, I mean, he did it with um, sort of kind of a mash unit much of this year, even this year. I mean, we were, uh, Georgia was banged up early in yeah. the season. So um, yeah, this, this is what we're seeing now is like a continuity of offense, which is what Kirby's always brought on defense, no matter right. who comes and goes off the defensive staff. Kirby is, is providing that continuity. Now we're getting that at, truly, uh, you know, a, a gifted play caller and a, and a guy that really knows how to, to work an offense. And that's, I think what a lot of Georgia fans are quite excited about is, is yeah, the offense. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not, you know, as, as exciting and as awesome as 2017 was, that was an offense that ran it almost 60%. 69%. Yeah. 60, I mean, yeah. 67, yeah. Yeah. So this is just a different, this is a different offense. And, you know, and, you know, JT came and said it, you know, in his first, I think it was his first game, Mississippi state game yeah. when he came in and said, yeah, you got five-star players. You're going to throw it to him. And that's what Georgia for Georgia, a lot of Georgia fans have wanted for a long time. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty exciting to see it throw it around 90 targets in the G day game, 90 targets. See, and that's like, and you could say, but maybe they're just getting work in you know, cause like it's going to be hard to run against that's, like that's that, that front four, but at the, but at the same time, I, I just, I, I think that this is where the offense was. And this is where my, my biggest take on this is like, if, if I'm not saying that Georgia has, has overtaken Alabama completely and, and pa- like surpassed Bama in, you know, like what's what Mike Griffith said, ships in the night bullshit from a couple of years ago. What I'm saying is that I think that like, if I'm going into the season, I'm way more confident on offense and defense with what Georgia has than I am with Alabama and Alabama has the, the, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. Now, I may be completely wrong about that. I'm sure Bama's going to be fine on offense. But when you talk about, like, running the football, they're going to be able to run the football. Munkin has quietly become, in my opinion, one of the best play callers, like, in the play design in the entire country. And he doesn't get enough credit for that because you look at, like, at at every level of a drive – I mean, it, they had 15 total explosive plays of, of like, what was it for, um, with to nine or 10 different players. They had at least one play over 20 yards, nine or 10. And that's, that's what you expect to see from that offense. And they did a lot of it on third down. They did it in key situations. And then you get into the red zone and they just were flooding, uh, passes to Eric Gilbert and, and, you know, setting up mismatches everywhere, which is what you're supposed to do. I, I don't, I don't think I'm crazy to think that this offense might be, might be even better, obviously, than last year. Well, you know, Graham has pointed us out a bunch about, you know, and has, has broken down Todd Monken when he was hired and throughout, you know, he's, yeah. everyone thinks of it as an air raid or spread offense. It's not, you know, he wants to run the ball as much as he throws it. I mean, we, we actually 
ran it more time as a higher percentage last year than we did the year before. And, you know, he had, when he was head coach at Southern Miss, he had 2000 yard rushers in right. one season. Yeah. Yeah. He had, I think a thousand yard or 2000 yard receivers and 2000 yard rushers on the same team. If I recall correctly, like he can, he can distribute the ball around, but I think the, the thing that a lot of people maybe don't recognize about Monken is how committed he is to like the long con Yeah, in terms of Georgia, what they do on offense when they're in a game that's that's within two scores versus what they do once they get up 14, 17 points, night and day. Um, and that Kentucky game was a great example of it where it was kind of like they flipped a switch and it sort of went from kind of some of the vanilla play calling to like, okay, we need a touchdown drive. Here's a halfback angle route to James Cook that nobody's seen us run right. all year. Boom, touchdown, you know, on third and four. Like he – I mean, I've, I've been told by quite a few people that I trust that like we still have not seen probably half the stuff in his playbook over the, the two years that he's been at Georgia. So I, I think there's a ton there. And it, the Alabama game was a good example of kind of, you know, I'm, the national title game was a situation where like you sort of saw him set a lot of stuff up for three quarters and and credit to the defense for allowing them to yeah. never really get in a spot like where it was urgent. Because when you you saw what happened in the SEC title game where you lost the run-pass conflict and it was kind of a disaster for Georgia in that second half. But, you know, the defense was allowed to – was able to keep that game close and it really kind of allowed him to to play the the chess match that he wanted to play. And then in that fourth quarter, a lot of stuff that had kind of been set up or they had shown Alabama in those first three quarters, all of a sudden you started seeing different variations of it. And and I think that's that's kind of why they won that game and had that – that really nice closing stretch for the offense. But what I think with, with Georgia in 2022 is like, and I hate to bring it up, but the question for everybody, the question that. No, we're not doing that. We're not doing this on the fucking show. No, 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 I'm just saying it's like all those weapons, you have them, but you have to distribute the ball to them consistently. And I think like Stetson Bennett was a unefficient point guard last year, Mm -hmm. but like we're talking about, it's like, I think that, I don't know that – like, he will have to take another step forward in 2022 if Georgia wants to be a team that consistently throws the ball 30, 35 times a game and wants to play that style of football. And right. I think that there might be some moments, depending on kind of how things shake out with the schedule, but I do think there will be moments where they have to, you know, be in a shootout in a way right. that they weren't last year. And that is something that I, is a question mark despite all the talent just because – it's different, right? And it's just right. a different type of game plan and execution. I, th- I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I like, you know, this is the third or fourth year that we've gotten into who should be starting a quarterback, Stetson Bennett or blank. So I really don't want to do that on this episode. Um, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. No, I, I know, but, but I do want to talk about like, who's, who's getting the ball. Like, and the biggest takeaway from spring, the spring game at least was Eric Gilbert and just how everyone's like, you know, fawning over that. We talked about the one, the 14 personnel, realistically, you're probably not going to see a 14 personnel um, or 15 personnel. Like you guys joked about on, on your show, but like realistically, how do you, what do you see coming from this tight end group and, and the receivers of, in terms of like distributing the ball or how they're going to set up in Munkin's offense specifically, because you don't have a guy like Pickens who's just a vertical threat, right? That like, you know, he's got one, he's got one. Well, pitch. Arian Smith would be that guy. I okay, mean, cool. Aaron so you Smith do have that. Gonna, okay. I mean, he's going to take the top off of every defense that right. he plays if he's healthy, just because he's a track star. Um, he can run 
two routes, basically. I mean, that's what we've seen to this right. point is basically like he's going to run, you know, a hitch or a go, uh, which is kind of what George was. And, you know, George is about to be a high round draft pick. Like I'm yeah. not saying that as a bad thing, but I do think that, yeah, it's with all the tight ends, I think it's going to be very intriguing just because uh, there's going to be certain teams that Georgia faces where I think they're just going to kind of like come out and play with their food in the sense of, yeah. all right, here, you know, here's three tight ends. If you want to go heavy, go ahead. And, you know, we'll, we'll just send Eric Gilbert or Brock Bowers or, or whoever deep and your linebacker can try and cover him in man, which we know he's not going to be able to do. Right. Or you want to stay, you want to stay light on your feet and, protect against the pass, then we're just going to pound you in the run with these big bodies. I, I, think- I have a technical football question. I have a technical football question. Okay. So if you run out those guys um, now, technically because of their Jersey number, do they, are, are all of them eligible? I mean, that's ridiculous to think. About. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're all eligible. So, yeah. I mean, uh, you can't put all of them on the, on the line, the line right? Of I, skirmage. Right. I mean, okay. Th- this is, this entire offense has the potential to be like, Iowa's wet dream of, of all time. It just, <laughs> just tight ends everywhere. I mean, well, everywhere. Well, I mean, the, the, the tight end that's, that can, that can do what th- that Munkin wants to do in terms of catching the ball, but also put his hand on the ground yeah. and block is the guy that's going to get a chance. I mean, I, I think Arik is going to be probably, you know, li- lined up, you know, uh, in the slot or, right. you know, in a, in a more pass catching, but, you know, Darnell, and, and Bowers, I think, you know, if they block I me, mean, exactly. I mean, they're going to just guard, you know, and, and put a guy, uh, you know, DB or a or linebacker on Arik and now whether he can beat him or not. It's great. But it's just that what's he going to do? Is he going to block or is he going right. to go out? And that's that's the exciting part for sure. So it, this is a question. We haven't even talked about Oscar Delp yet. I, we're not going to either. Um because South Carolina yards. fans are going to be upset. Seven catches, uh, ninety-one yards. He, yeah, but we didn't talk about him, and he led the entire entire unit in in yards and uh, and receptions. So it's like a, it's just a wealth of talent there. Here's, my question is this: Am I crazy for thinking the following? You you bring up all the tight ends. It is going to be hard to distribute all that. Darnell Washington is a physical freak that looks like he would be a no-brainer to go in the NFL and still do, he's six eight. Like that's. You, you can't defend it, right? Um, he has not seen a lot of production, I feel like, in, in his time in Athens. I think if you're looking at one guy on the, on the, on the roster from the offensive standpoint, and I'm not going to thought any offensive linemen because y'all got too many four and five stars that aren't going to play. But is that the guy that is most likely into the transfer portal, or how do you see him getting used in the offense this year? Uh, it's tough, right? Because he hasn't been healthy. And I right. think like, that's, that's a little bit of a – a tough situation to try and transfer when, you know, I mean, like, it's like now that we've, we're in this kind of modern age of free agency, it's like, you don't see an NFL team sign a guy coming off of a injury unless their doctor gets to do a physical on them. Right. right. So it's like, I, I have questions about how that works, I guess, but uh, I, I think there's potential there. Right. Like I, I mean, there's been whispers around that in the past, but he also, you know, met with the media a couple of weeks ago and, and said, I've, I've never considered transferring. So, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, it would make logical sense. Uh, right. At the same time, I'm still under the like belief that if Darnell Washington decided tomorrow that he wanted to be a tackle and put on 20 pounds, he would be a top 10 overall pick in the NFL draft in 18 well, months. 
I think, you know, maybe, I don't know if this is factoring into it uh, and I'm going to wildly speculate here, but I mean, you, Georgia has put in, you know, tight ends in the league that weren't pass catchers. They've got guys ready for the combine. I mean, this is a day and, a day and age where you don't have to have, you know, 70 targets a year and, you know, 15 touchdowns to be recognized by NFL talent. I mean, if he's on this roster and he's, he's going to get a chance to, to be, he's going to be drafted. And I think he's probably weighing that in. It's like, do I want to be, you know, one of the good guys, one of, one of a a really fantastic group of tight ends at Georgia, or do I want to go be the man somewhere else? And I I think, you know, I don't think, I I think he's leaning towards staying here because, you know, we, we put guys in the league in the time from the tight end spot that don't get a lot of balls thrown to him. But I yeah. think he is, I think he's, I think he's the guy, if he's healthy, like Graham said, he's been, he was, he, he was unhealthy for a large portion of the season. I think he wasn't healthy in the national championship game. Even. Oh, 100%. I'm sorry. That sucks, man. A hundred percent. No excuses. Yeah, man, if we had uh, our top two tight ends in the national championship. <laughs> <Shut yeah. the laughs> We're not doing this. We're not doing this. There we are. For the win. For the win. Yeah. Um, No, I've I've said it. I always stand by it that uh, if there's anything I've learned uh, as my time in in Athens being on George Coast, I know know ACLs don't matter. You barely need them. Um, I know I don't use mine. So I've put on so much weight since college. Um, No. So like looking at it, we'll talk briefly about the quarterback situation. I think Carson Beck has done really, really well. I don't, Kirby's been very vocal about the fact that no one's taking over that spot from Setson, right? Like, but I do think Graham made a good point about how there's like, you know, a lot of, in most seasons, you're not going to have the benefit of what y'all had last year on defense. And a quarterback's got to go out there and just win you a football game. There's no way you're going to run a two quarterback system, right? No, no, no. Georgia's not going to run two. I mean, I will say like people inside of the program, uh, you know, I, I think that there was a little bit of frustration on the side of the coaching staff with kind of, sort of the, the Stetson celebration tour maybe went on a little bit too long right. into the offseason, and he maybe didn't show up to spring practice quite in the manner they wanted him to early on. And so I think they kind of sent a message and challenged him from a leadership standpoint. What Kirby Smart said that I think is great news for Georgia is like Stetson has kind of cut out a lot of those sort of like WTF plays. Like right. he would have one kind of YOLO play a half last year where it was like, dude, why are you, you know, rolling left back across your body trying mm. to, you know, throw an alley-oop between the leg touchdown pass. Different sports, yeah, for sure. I know that's my point, but I, I guess what I'm saying is you don't, you don't want to rule out Carson. Beck. Right. And that's just because like, I think that he made better decisions more consistently on Saturday in that football game as Josh and I talked about, who gets to be the starter? Is it going to have, you know, it's not based on G day. It's based on every practice every day and right. cumulative, you know, effect of, of those and how they, those guys grade out. So I, I do think that Carson Beck like offers a higher ceiling than Bennett. I also think he offers probably a lower floor. Right. So right. question of how much do you trust your defense? Are you in a situation mm-hmm. different than last year where you say, you know, I'm willing to, to take some risks on offense. Cause I feel like I have to, because I don't have a generational front seven that can just bail me out of everything. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think Stetson will start the Oregon game. It wouldn't shock me to see. I, I don't know. I, mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't the starter come December when, you know, you get to Atlanta or right. your bowl game or whatever, but 
but I also wouldn't be shocked if he was because it's like, yes, like the way he played on G Day was very kind of uncharacteristic of how he played the rest yeah. of the, the 2021 season. We joked around on the podcast, it seemed like he was still on the celebration tour and just like big dick Stetson was out there just like just doing what he wanted. Um, <laughs> but like it was like there were some throws I was like, why would he do that? But um, okay, so we've, we've got into a lot of like the, the positives and stuff like that and, and these different units and, and we didn't even touch the running backs, which we probably don't have time for, but um, a, lot of, a lot of tremendous talent there. Let's get into some, let's get into the defense a little and also talk about the one position I know you've been pretty vocal about or one position unit that may be an area of concern and probably the weakest one, which isn't saying much um, on the team. That's the, I think the defensive backs. Would do you agree that that is the one Okay, the weak link, weak link. How do you see that playing out, I guess, going into the start of the year? Like, like who, who's starting and what do you see that's going to be like, how do they avoid what basically what Bama did in, in Atlanta last year? Um, you know, well, you got Tyke Smith, who was, you know, transferred in, didn't play last year because of injury. So he is going to be a veteran there and he will be uh, an improvement and, or, you know, he's going to be rock solid. You got Christopher Smith and you got Keely Ringo. So there's three guys right there that are veterans. They're going to get the job done. Now who, who starts the opposite corner? I don't think we've, we have, we may not have seen that player in GDA and we saw some after last year, we saw some additions in the, in, after G-Day in the defensive backfield, uh, specifically Darian Kendrick. So uh, I, I think that is a concern. I don't think it's my number one concern on the team, actually. Uh, Bigger. But, uh, but um, so it is probably the biggest question mark right now. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, it, like – I think that's a, an area where that's a really good point. I hit the treasure portal for that specific uh, spot. And it's especially if they were able to do it last year before and after the spring, right. With the Taiki and then also with Kendrick, um, you guys, like you guys watch more tape than anyone I know. Every time see, I always like say, I'm going to start watching tape and there's like a marathon of the office on. I'm like, ah, kind of want to watch this more instead. So um, like Jalen Carter is a guy that I think, people know, were, were yeah. saying is like, you know, the most, he's, he's like not very well known, but he will be, I think everyone who knows who Jalen Carter is at this point, there there's, no he's, our doubt best, about he's our best fullback on the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think obviously he's going to be a stud in the first round pick and, and a force this year. Uh, but give us some guys, you know, you replace, you replace a lot of talent, not just a little bit, but generational talent at several positions. Who are the guys that are going to replace the Kobe Dean um, and some of the others in that front seven? And then who are the people you think by, by season's end are going to be, you know, basically stars that people don't know right now. Okay. So two names I'll give you um, on the defensive front. We know we have Jalen Carter up there as the tackle. You've got Robert Beal and, and Nolan Smith as those two kind of edge guys. Right. So, like those guys are, are sort of known commodities, I believe. But when you talk about the middle of the defense, that's where all that has been lost, you know, two D tackle spots and then the inside linebacker and core. But I think you uh, – Tyrion Ingram Dawkins is a guy who is – he's a 300-pound guy. He's a D tackle. Uh, redshirt freshman – didn't really play much at all last year, was was injured during fall camp, got some reps, I think, late in the season in some games. But he showed out on G-Day. I mean, like, when when we went back over the tape, um, it's just he was everywhere. And he was penetrating into the backfield, and he was doing it against the first-team offensive line and just did a really, really good job of being explosive and being disruptive. And you pair that next to Jalen Carter – 
like having Jalen Carter next to him will ensure that he will see a lot of one-on-one blocking yep. assignments. And I think he's a guy that can take advantage of that. What also impressed me is just that even at 300 pounds, there were situations where they lined him up uh, on the edge, kind of in that old Trevon Walker buck in spot where they like to have that heavier style D end. And he was speed rushing past Broderick Jones, uh, which, you know, is, is saying a lot. I can tell you firsthand. What he did. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think that's, that's the, one, like the, the next, I think he will be a, you know, first, second round kind of draft pick uh, in a couple of years. Like we'll, yeah. we'll know his name and talk about how he was on the team with all these other guys that just went through the combine. But uh, at inside linebacker, I was really impressed with Tresman Marshall. Uh, Josh and I talked about him a lot. Like just, he was everywhere. He had an interception in the game. Almost had two more. Had his had his hands on two other balls that Stetson threw. Just I was in impr- a lot of young inside linebackers struggle in coverage. That's usually the the hardest thing for those guys to get. I mean they they know how to to go and run in space. Try and, yeah, they they know how to try and rush the passer. They can find the ball in the run game, but uh, he was really really good in man coverage and zone coverage. And uh, I, th- I think that you know he's going to end up in one of those spots, probably next to Jamon Dumas Johnson, who everybody raved about. There wasn't any kind of wow play from him on G day, right. but that he's sort of been the buzz of spring practice and even like bowl practices last year. Okay. So real quick, uh, I want to jump in two names too, that you might want to add in there, especially on that, that front defensive front is Nazir Stackhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in his third year on campus as a four star. And then you got Warren Brinson and, I, and Nazir had a pretty good game on Saturday too. Princeton was super disruptive. And Zion Logue, who's kind of already a known commodity. He's played a lot of snaps. Like, That's fair. Yeah. The thing's going to cut out. We just did an hour-long thing of this, so we edit this. Oh, no! We suck again! All right, so um, last part of all this, I know, like, this is the thing that I that makes me so high on Georgia again because we've talked about these position units and all the talent, and we know how well Kirby's recruited. Um Another reason I think that you're looking at a situation where like earlier I said that the Georgia, like, I think I've said they were even being overlooked. They're not like being looked at as like the national championship, like front runner. Right. Like, like I don't get the sense going into the season that they're the ones that have the biggest target on their back, even in their own conference because of, because of Bama for, you know, just because of what Nick's created over there in Tuscaloosa for so long. If you're looking at this schedule, there's not a lot there that gives you, any area of concern, right? Um, is there a game? Is there a, a like a, a point of the year that would maybe maybe they slip up, or is this a situation where? And this isn't being arrogant, and are you guys being homers? But being realistic here, or is this just something where they're going twelve and zero, and then and then the, the real challenge comes in the postseason, starting in Atlanta? It would be a different mindset to accept that, you know your worst case scenario is, is it just a bad week in the rain and you lose a game. Yeah. Uh, and that's where Bama has been for every season that under Nick Saban, it seems like um, since he got it rolling. So I'm not really ready to go there because Auburn always scares me because it can be chaos and we get Auburn at home this year, but you know, um, and Florida's, you know, Florida's, you know, Kentucky. I mean, yeah, all of the, I mean, to answer your question, no, I'm scared to death of every single game on, <laughs> on our schedule. I'm just not, I'm just, I'm I think just it's not a thing. Yeah, no, 100% be thing. I'm not going to be, I, I'm not the guy that's on Twitter being like, oh, we're going to kill you. I'm going to, you know, bookmark this tweet and come at you. Says, no, I just, cause I just, 
I've been humbled enough in the, uh, as a Georgia fan that, but no, yes, last year's schedule set up nicely for Georgia. Uh, this year's schedule certainly it, it kind of mirrors it in the sense that, you know, you get a sort of not quite Oregon's not quite the, you know, is they're not a playoff. Uh, they've only had one playoff in, in the playoff era. Um, but yeah, you get a big game on national TV to start the season and then, you know, sort of you can kind of, you know, dial it in and get ready for the meat of the SEC season. And then, yeah, hopefully be playing, you know, um, a good team from the West, maybe Texas A&M, maybe Alabama. Uh, also, I mean, oh, not enough can be said about that first week's game against uh, what is definitely and unequivocally the best team in the state of Oregon and the only good team in the state of Oregon. And oh, like, dude, Oregon state is my sleeper Pac 12 title. You want to fucking do this right now? <laughs> Why do you have to say sleep with? Her? Are you serious? No. Are you being serious? Oh, man. oh, sleepers. No, I mean, I, I'm not being serious about, uh, like, I, I mean, I, yeah, I do think I do have Oregon state as a sleeper team, but sorry, moot point. Let me talk about Georgia, Oregon week one. Um, <laughs> I do think that that's a really like tough game just because Lanning knows Georgia inside out. But I also think like Lanning is basically trying to teach his guys the new defense that Kirby Smart has installed many times over and over and installs every offseason. So I think there's probably a little bit of advantage that goes to Georgia's way for Mock and be able to sit down and be like, you know, what's what's the hardest thing for guys to get a handle on on this defense when you install it every year and being able to kind of try and exploit that for Oregon, but that's going to be an interest. Like Oregon returns a lot on their offensive line. Also, they um, also return Bo Nix. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. It's like Cristobal did a good job of building the, the trenches on that team. Yeah. That in a way where it mirrors, you know, more like an sec program than what you expect from a PAC 12 team. So I think that's going to be like a physical game. It's just, I don't think that, Oregon is winning like a grinded out style football game against Georgia. I just don't see that happening. Um, the game that scares me, I like it's not South Carolina. I'm sorry. I just, yeah, I don't see it. But uh, the game that scares me a little bit for Georgia is actually that Mississippi state game in uh, on the road, right? Second. Yeah. On the road, November 12th, right after playing Tennessee at home, which, you know, is right after the Florida game. So yeah. you'll be coming right for Kentucky, Tennessee. right? And Kentucky is a great team. Don't get me wrong. Like I think you guys are so Kentucky fucking is... well versed at coach speak. It's unbelievable right now. Well, no, it's not what I'm going to say about Kentucky <laughs> is just Kentucky's built a lot like Georgia. You know, yeah. They're built to be physical on the line and all of that. It's kind mm-hmm. of the same thing I feel about Oregon. It's like, you're not beating Georgia in like a, a physical grinded out pound the rock kind of football game. So, right unless Will Levis is going to drop bombs and pass for 350 yards. I don't, I don't think they're losing it. Um, But yeah, that Mississippi state game scares me a little bit just because that, you know, the last time Georgia faced that offense, they struggled. Uh, Yeah. It was a 24, 17 game. No, I think it was 28, 24 or 31, 28. I mean, it was a, like Georgia was down basically that entire game. Um, and, you know, Mississippi State was going on 10-minute drives at points in that game. And, like, it just – they did not do a good job of, of handling that air raid. And so it's going to be interesting to see that because that is a, the type of situation where Mississippi State gets up, you know, a couple possessions real quick on you. They're up 10, 14 points. They're at home. Those cowbells are ringing. 
and everybody starts to get a little tight. And Georgia, as we've talked about, like hasn't really been designed, at least to this point, uh, to to be that team that wants to get into a shootout. So that's, that's about the that secondary I, being the weak link of uh, of the team, and and like that right. that that offense is that, that offense is we we know what it is in terms of a. Like I think people sometimes have the misperception that a Mike Leach offense is this high flying offense and they're, they're throwing the ball all over the field, but it really is just like it's possession runs through the air, man. It's like it's these yeah. very short, yeah. quick receptions, just like death by a thousand paper cuts, and 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 they've they've had a guy that's had the most, you know, they've had a guy in the top ten for almost every single year Mike Leach has has been a head coach in the last decade, right? I think it's like seven of the last ten years they've had somebody at least in the top ten, usually in the top two or three, um, in terms of passing yards. They have. He's never had a quarterback in, in his in the last decade, at least, that has been as efficient and and good as as Will Rogers has been. And Will Rogers has been largely unnoticed because of the quarterback you know talent that's in this league. But a guy that's completing seventy five percent of his passes, um, yeah. that could be tough for secondary. So I could I could see that. That makes sense too. Yeah, that's um, the right. one for me. What's that? No, I was just saying that's that's the one for me that like I think you know I don't know. Uh, I, I do think that, like, Georgia – this is probably the easiest Georgia schedule of my lifetime. No, no, I was told on – you know what, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Um, well, it was, uh, let me just jump in one thing about the schedule. Now that, you know, you say we're not the target on our back, uh, I, there's no way the national championship champion is not a target on the back. And Georgia's got to do that where you get the your opponent's best games and instead of that maybe in a 4 o'clock – SEC network game at you know at Starkville that's could be the ESPN night game and you talk about the you know you're gonna get everyone's you're gonna you're gonna be in the best the better games than you were and so yeah it's gonna you're gonna have gonna be tougher environments all around I think you guys might and maybe I should have phrased like this like you guys might have a target on your back but if you do and and you were to quote unquote like metaphorically get shot, it would be like a you know in like Fast and Furious type movies when it's like it shoots somebody shoots Vin Diesel, but he's like it doesn't hurt him because he's not human or like you know like The Rock. That's basically what's going to happen with Georgia this year. You're, you're going to face Kentucky's best shot. You're going to beat him by 14 plus points. Everyone knows that. Um, I feel like this is a psychological operation that you're doing. You guys, I'm so tired of this. You guys, I can never say anything and, get, and give you guys credit and then like have it be taken seriously, which is my own fault, Graham. We know. Well, here, let me say this. I think that for all the pressure that comes with being a defending national champion, like it's a little bit different for Georgia just because this fan base is like, you know, I feel like this is like a gap year for, for Georgia fans, right? Where it's like, man, I don't know that there's that much that could happen, like barring, you know, a nine and three or eight and four regular season right. that anyone's going to be really truly upset about. Um, but Imagine how upset Alabama fans would be if, if Georgia like you know was to go back to back or to you know, to beat them twice in a row in a situation if they met and it would be awful or in the playoff again. Like, I think that would be kind of a, a seismic shift in the power structure of the SEC that that would change things in a way that we haven't seen in about fifteen years. And so, you know, I, I want to sit I do, here I do think and that's say a lot of pressure on Bama. Of, well, okay. <laughs> I want to like, I mean, well, Bama also goes on the road to play Texas and, and, and has a actual difficult schedule, but I think, I I don't think Bama's concerned with Georgia right now, no matter what Twitter would tell us. Um, I will say this. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, I think the pressure is on Alabama as a program to 
to go and win a title after, yeah. you know, after seeing Georgia do it. Cause it's, it's like, it's the same way that it felt. I don't know. Like the 2019 LSU goes and wins one and then Bama goes and answers in 2020. Uh, it's like every time an SEC school has won a national title in the Saban era, Bama has like basically immediately followed it up with a national title of their own to kind of like reassert dominance. And I, I don't know if people like, know this, but, um, and it's, this is like, this is like an incredible flex, but you've only had two, you only have one instance uh, or two, I guess, where you've had back-to-back years with Bama not playing for the title. There's, there's only been twice in the same era where Bama, where you've gone two total years that Bama hasn't played for the title. And that was when he first got there in 07 and 08. And it was in 13 and 14 because they, and they were in the playoff that year. So I understand that, but the pressure I think is always there. I was going to give you shit for saying the thing, like immediately putting it on. Like if, if what if they, they lose to Georgia and, and throwing out that hypothetical. But then I also remember that I, I said vocally um, several times at the beginning of last year that I thought Bama wasn't going to be as good, but it would be awesome if we went 11 and one or 10 and two and then beat Georgia and rip their heart out in Atlanta, which we did. But it effectively um, did not matter. So uh, I think I think that like yeah, this rivalry is not going to go away. But I do think it's shifting, and I and I'll be the first to say this is part of the, one of the points of this whole thing is that I think it has shifted in, in terms of I think I think Georgia might be like a little bit ahead of where like for, if you talk about like projections. Again, I, I like where Georgia's at a little bit more than Bama, um, not only this year but moving forward. So. There's that. I'm going to get fucking canceled by my own fan base. Sandbag and son of a bitch. You guys are, this is such bullshit. I can't say anything <laughs> nice to you people. Oh my gosh. You know, honestly, like if, if I would have known that this many nice things, I was going to say this many nice things and it'd be this fruitless. I just would have proposed to both of you and been engaged to you. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's all it is. <laughs> Let me ask you this question though, before, you know, I know we're almost nearing the end of this, but like you, you alluded to earlier, you know, you watch the Georgia spring game in person. You yeah. watch the Bama spring game where the defending Heisman Trophy winner couldn't couldn't put up more than seven points. Okay, uh, but he also just torched the shit out of you guys in, in like a, a calendar month prior. So let's not forget about that. No, I'm talking about the spring game. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I'm just so used to the same argument. My bad. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm saying like. You know, you, you said earlier you watched the spring games and you felt like Georgia's maybe a little bit ahead of Bama in some ways. Like, what are you, you know, like, what, what why, do you why really is that? Believe in, like, it, well, I guess, why is that? But more so, if you're talking about 2022 and, you know, how okay. those teams match up, what, what scares you as an Alabama fan about Georgia? No, so this is, this is what I said last year. And people, I think a decent amount of people remember me saying it, but I, I, I understand sometimes the the villain that is possibly played on Twitter, and I've I've done a lot of this myself. But I said over and over and over last year why Georgia was the better team and why Georgia was going to win the national championship start of the season, uh, in, during the season, and going into the national championship game. They were going to win that game, or they were going to win that championship because they did all the little things that champions do. They 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 do. They didn't have a bunch of like dumb penalties. They didn't turn the ball. Are you guys talking to each other right now? No, uh, I'm actually. I was actually looking at. I was actually looking at futures. I want to. Um, uh, so they're, they're like they did all the little things that that you do as a champion to win games, right? Like, and case in point again, the Kentucky game where it's like you get a third and one stop with the SEC's leading running back, and then you get you, you flip the field and you don't make mistakes and you force your opponent. 
with this suffocating defense and, and efficient offense, you force them into mistakes. And just like that, you're up by two scores and it's over. Like I, I, I feel like yeah. one time or maybe yeah. a couple times in Saban's era, you had the feeling like in 2011, if Bama gets to nine points, it's over because that they, that defense was giving up like less than eight points a game. And they were like historically and statistically the best defense of all time until what we saw last year. All season, I saw I saw a more disciplined. I saw a more I saw a deeper, um, and, and I saw a, a a team that from start to finish seemed more more focused than than Alabama. It was Georgia. Sure, but what about twenty twenty two? Like so, going into twenty twenty two, I the biggest concern is the offensive line, and and you get into the spring game where you have fifteen sacks allowed. And now it's a spring game, and Will Anderson's the best player in the country. But again, you know where I didn't see Will or, or someone struggle with Will Anderson January in Indianapolis. Um, I didn't see him take over a game like that. And when you have Nick Saban coming to like like say on camera, and it was funny, it was, it's cool. And, and and Will Anderson, I think Will Anderson by season's end will be considered the best defensive player we have seen in college football in the last 25 years. I think that's the kind of impact he's had. I think that's how good he is. But at the same time, when you have Saban saying, we don't Jaylen have a left Carter's tackle. Better. Huh? Jalen Carter's better. Okay, cool. Um, but so if you, I'm not going to do this to you guys again, but the, the, well, they don't have the stats. Um, but like, <laughs> but no, like when you talk about, uh, we don't have a left tackle that can block them. And, and then you look at, well, yeah, you know, he's, he's so good. That's, that's, that's probably why. But you have a roster that has signed the number one offensive tackle and number two offensive tackle in the same class two years ago, signed another five-star offensive lineman last year. They've never struggled like they're struggling now on the offensive line. And on top of that, I, I think that they're going to be like, I, I know I'm, I sound like the sky is falling, all that kind of shit. But I watched Bama all year last year not do the little things well to win games. Yeah. pre-snap penalties they they were like the like they they had the game against uh a&m where bill o'brien stink that you guys got on your that's not, has nothing to do bill o'brien was really good last year but you just did you did little things that like not well where you had like penalties turnovers and like they should have lost to lsu so like, you brushed the ball for six yards so all these things that were the highest they had been in the saving era and they were an un, they were bottom line an undisciplined team and and they were unfocused at times and they didn't do the little things well to win that they just had the possibly the two best players in the country um, on offense and on defense. The other thing is this, and Jermaine Burton is by all means, he's had rave reviews going into the season. He's, he's going to have his numbers. He'll probably have this season. He'll have more yards and catches than he had in the two years combined. He was at Georgia um, just because yeah. the way that offense is run. That's why he went there. It makes sense. But from a physical standpoint, Jermaine Burton does nothing for me to make me worried about having to match up with him. I don't. I don't see. He's a great. He's a phenomenal route runner, but yeah, right. he's not physically gonna. I mean, he's six feet tall. Right, and, and I mean, Devontae Smith is a guy that was. You know, he wasn't somebody physically that was going to scare you, but he also was a. We all we watched him constantly get open. I don't see that. I don't see. And maybe this is maybe it's the same thing with like at some point the quarterback situation is going to have to take a step back or like, you know, like with Georgia losing all the talent on defense at some point, you can't just keep going up, up and up. Right. Right. But when you have four receivers taken in the first round in a like two year span, in like the top 15, you have three of the past six Bolitnikov winners. You have, um, or I've had two of the last four Bolitnikov winners, and you're going to have another first rounder this year. At some point, the production has to drop off. And I don't see anybody on that roster that is at, like on, on that level as, as those receivers were. So that's no, my that's, concern. That's fair. Do you want to hear my really hot take? <laughs> it, what is it? So is it about fucking Oregon State? Because no, no, it's not. But I do think, like, 
you kind of alluded to it, like philosophically right now, what Kirby smart is doing in Athens is pretty much everything that we saw Nick Saban do from the time he showed up at LSU Mm -hmm. until about four or five years ago, where he became the guy who was like, defense can't win games anymore. You got to be able to go out and score 40 points. And that's, there's an element of truth to that, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have seen modern college football change, but you know, I, I still think, especially in the SEC, football games are won in the line of scrimmage more often than not. And, you know, Georgia, like, kind of listened to that. And, I mean, that was the hot take from every, like, college football analyst for two years on Kirby Smart was, like, you know, Nick Saban has said how important it is to, to have an offense, and Kirby's still a, a defense-first coach. Right. And, and we saw that cash in for a national title last year, but it's like – there's just a very different mentality that comes with like, we're not going to give up more than 17 points a game right. to anybody we're playing versus let's go out there and let Bryce sling it around for 400 yards. And I like, I don't know. It's just, it, it feels like there's a little bit, and maybe it's all the, you're talking about the the production issue with all these guys that have gone to the NFL. It's like, I think that coaches in their own way, like you can look at that and be like, Bama has lost so much production when it comes to assistant coaches and so much like culture wise when it comes to the assistants in the program that I think there's maybe not like the, the same edge that, that you once had when it came to being like, we're going to bludgeon everybody to death versus becoming more of a finesse football team. Uh, And, you know, we saw that work. Like it, it can work both ways. Like 2020 right. Bama's maybe the best football team we've ever seen, right? Like it's right. not there hasn't been some cratering or anything like that, but it is kind of weird to see, like to sit back and watch like Georgia and Alabama. And like I know I'm gonna take heat from somebody for saying this, but it's like if I had to pick one for like culture right now, it's like I'd probably pick Georgia's culture over Alabama. Like it's yeah, like, that's, kinda, I'm glad you said that. People managing. will probably take that seriously, but if I said that, that would also be um I mean, culturally, that's a different thing. I will say the one thing I don't like about y'all's culture is when you guys keep using the fucking 404 thing um, in the recruiting pitches. No, that's Georgia Tech. No, no, no. You you guys will post all these pictures when it's like a thing of the A. Yeah, that was a couple years ago. We haven't haven't done the Atlanta skyline. People don't forget. Once once everybody realized that Jeff Collins wasn't going to do anything, they were like, oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But he goes to the Waffle House. I, I, you know, Graham, I just, if I can just so jump in here, I know we got to wrap it up. Yeah. But, you know, to what sure. you were just saying, Graham, it's like, you know, defense, offense, it's both. You got to put them both together. And, right. you know, one of the things you and I talk about, Graham, on our show is sort of the efficiency. You know, we talk about offense efficiency and defensive efficiency. But, you know, you look at yards per play and you look both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And the last three champions have had, you know, one of the highest net yards per play where you take the offensive yard per play and subtract the defensive yards per play. And again, that, that team was, what was Georgia's net yards per play last year. Do you know off the top? Of uh, it was 2.7. I believe it was ridiculous. What well, was trying uh, to tell me that stat all year long. And I did not want to listen to it at all. Um, <laughs> 20, uh, Alabama, it was a little different because it was all SEC schedule. Mm, so it was a sure. little down, but they were, they, I mean, it, I, I still think that 2020 like 2. out four, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Alabama 2020 in terms is, I mean, like offensively was just one of the best teams yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they were better, they were better than Burrow and, and as good as, I mean, I mean, that's not easy. LSU was frigging great, you know, right. but Alabama was frigging greater. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, what yeah. was on that? Well, to, to Josh's point, like, I think 
everyone i mean this i'm in some uga chats on twitter where it's like yeah you tell me about there's them. georgia there's georgia fans that are that <laughs> that are like really really kind of i think bothered by the fact that georgia hasn't had the thousand yard receivers and they they, they worry that that's going to affect the the recruiting right as time goes on and i think that's a valid concern to have but i think there's a misnomer like and josh can lay out all the reasons why this is the case, but it's like Georgia's offense last year and, and Georgia's passing game in particular was extremely efficient. It wasn't like super, you know, super high output in terms of yardage and, and touchdowns and all of that. Like, but Stetson Bennett was top four in college football in yards per an attempt. Right. He was top four in college football and passing efficiency. Flip side is he was one of the bottom three or four STC quarterbacks in depth adjusted accuracy, which maybe, you know, something to be concerned about moving forward just to, to play both sides of the fence here. But like, I, I do think Georgia's, you brought up the Todd Mocking thing earlier. It's like I, Georgia's offense last year was way better than anybody really, I think ever wanted to, to realize or give credit for it. Just, it, it kind of showed up in, in different ways than your traditional stat sheet. Yeah. Well, and um, you know, the good news is we have a long time to talk about it because it's a, it's a while for the yeah. season, but this was great guys. I appreciate it. Um, we'll wrap it up there and, uh, and tell everyone where you guys can be found on social media, obviously with the show, they do a great podcast as well as a live show, which is like, I watched it twice. I watched it twice since Saturday. Um, oh. Yeah. So my girlfriend was not happy about that, but um, it's fine because I have a girlfriend now. So we can talk She's about it. She's a Georgia story. fan though, right? I don't, I don't want to talk about that. She brought me this stupid fucking shirt. So <laughs> That's cool, dude. Yeah, but give yourself a uh, give you guys some plugs, and then we'll get on out of here. Uh, check us out. We are uh, Dog Sports Live on YouTube, um, and we're looking to do a lot in this spring. So please stay tuned with that. Uh, I am at dog underscore stats on Twitter, and I do a lot of stuff there. And dogsports.com. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at dog out west. Uh, yeah, like Josh said, please check us out, Dog Sports Live on YouTube. Um, we've got some cool projects coming up that we'll be sharing some news on here in the next couple of weeks and lots of fun ways to keep bringing you guys content on the horizon. So uh, come and tune in. And if you're a Bama fan, please, like, you're welcome to, to come. We will, we will have, like, as long as you don't, you know, like, MF us into the dirt over and over like i would love to have really fun like intelligent football conversations with with some bama fans so please come and check us out if you haven't already love it all right guys we will talk to you soon 